on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, with most of Major League Baseball barely participating in this year's free agency, should the D-backs get a little bit more aggressive and do a short-term overpay on a premium free agent, and power ranking the most trustworthy relievers in the D-backs bullpen. You are Locked on Diamondbacks. Your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. I'm your host, Miller Thomas, of this podcast. Of course, bringing you Locked on Diamondbacks, D-backs news coverage and insight. You know, in the offseason, it's only three days a week right now. Go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com to see all the latest work by me. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell Please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube. So please hit subscribe to Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube. But what are we discussing on today's podcast? In segment number two and number three, we're going to be doing a little power ranking, ranking the most trustworthy relievers the D-backs have. So we're basically going to tell you who should be the top eight in the D-backs open going into 2024. But before we get there, I first want to start the podcast By doing this little exercise, having this little discussion, because the L.A. Dodgers, of course, they're having a fantastic offseason, right? They've spent so much money. I actually saw a graphic saying that the Dodgers have spent more money this offseason than the other 29 teams combined. I just want to say... The Dodgers are not ruining baseball. The Dodgers spending all that money is not bad for baseball. What's bad for baseball is the 29 other teams not even trying to keep up with the Dodgers. 29 other teams. I'm not even going to say 29 because teams like the D-backs have been aggressive this offseason. But you could say, what, 25 of the other teams have barely participated this free agency. have barely done anything. I've just sat on their hands and watched teams like the Dodgers make all the moves. So I don't think what the Dodgers are doing is bad. I think the rest of I think the, the other teams not participating in free agency is bad for the sport. So quick PSA there. But what I want to say is the Dodgers, of course, spending so much money this offseason, this free agency period, and they just made another this time. This was a very smart transaction because the Tawny deal, the Yamamoto deal, like all those, you're, of course, doing all those deals because you're bringing superstar players. But those deals have inherent risk, right? When you sign players to 10 year deals with a lot of deferred money, there's inherent risk in those deals. Tyler Glass now. He's a great trade target, but there's inherent risk in a guy who's always been hurt. But a move that I really like the Dodgers, a move that I really like that the Dodgers made uh, over the past week was they went out there and they added Teoscar Hernandez. Now, Teoscar Hernandez, I think, is a flawed player. I think if he got like a five, six-year deal where he was making 
what he just got from the Dodgers, $23.5 million, but if he got that annually over five, six-year deal, I think that would have been a major overpay. But what I liked the Dodgers, uh, what I like that the Dodgers did is Teoscar Hernandez, his market hasn't been that big this offseason. He was talking with maybe the Red Sox, like a two for 38 kind of a deal. Like it didn't seem like anyone wanted to give Teoscar Hernandez 20 million. And if they did want to give him 20 million, it didn't feel like they wanted to do that over a long term period. So what did the Dodgers do? They said, you know what, Teoscar? We value the bat. We don't think we want you long term here, but if you want to just come into a winning organization, play in a vaulted, you know, yoked up lineup, loaded lineup where you could hit behind the Mookies and the Freddies and the Will Smith and be kind of protected in the lineup, don't have to be that guy. It could be a chance for you to almost have a prove it season. I think that was kind of appealing for Teoscar Hernandez. You could come to the Dodgers, come to a winning organization, and maybe boost your stats because of the lineup you're going to be in. And so the Dodgers, they made that pitch to Teoscar, and they said, you know what? Since you're not in our immediate long-term plans, we'll just overpay you, but we'll do it on a one-year deal. Now it's like the Cody Bellinger situation when he went to the Chicago Cubs. Cody had everything to play for. He was playing for his reputation. He was playing for a new contract. Like It was a lot of pressure on Cody Bellinger, and he delivered. Now he's still unsigned, but Teoscar Hernandez could take that same approach. Go into L.A., help the Dodgers do a bunch of winning, put up all-star stats, and then maybe in next year's free agency, you will get the contract you want. And that's where I want the D-backs to take a page out of the Dodgers' philosophy from what they just with from what they just did with Teoscar Hernandez and apply it to themselves because there's still two really premium free agents out there I think could really help out this D-backs team. And so far, uh, it feels like what those free agents are asking for is not quite aligned with what teams are willing to give them. The first guy is a guy I just mentioned, Cody Bellinger. And listen... It sounds like Cody Bellinger wants like an eight-year, $250 to $300 million deal. But as it currently stands, it feels like the market kind of slow for Cody. feels like teams are not trying to dole out that kind of money. And so that makes me ask the question of, should the D-backs just do a Teoscar Hernandez type deal and do like a short-term overpay? Would it be a bad idea? I think it would be a fantastic idea if the D-backs walked up to Cody Bellinger and said, hey, you know what? The market's not there for you right now. I know you just took a one-year prove-it deal, but maybe people want to see another year another year of a sample size. Just the one year was enough for people after having three straight down seasons. Maybe you got to do it one more time, Cody Bellinger. And so what if the D-backs gave him that pitch and said, you know what? You want this much annually? We'll add another $3 million to what you want annually. But the issue is it's only going to be a one-year deal. The D-backs brought in Cody Bellinger on a one-year $30 million deal. Is that bad? Is that a bad contract? I don't think so at all. Cody could come here for one season, put up elite offensive numbers, especially if he was the guy that he was last year, and then probably go into next year's offseason after coming off two straight campaigns of dominance and go get that bag, go get that contract he wants. If he can lift Arizona to great heights, maybe back to the World Series, maybe a World Series ring, maybe it's the D-backs who want to sign Cody Bellinger long-term because Christian Walker is going to be hitting free agency very soon. 
So maybe Cody Bellinger could be that replacement. But at the very least, Cody Bellinger, solid defensive outfielder. You could put him in the one. You could put him in one of the corner outfields. Put him in right field or whatever. Put Carroll on left. Alec Thomas at center, and then Lords Guriel. You can make him your DH because the D-backs have talked about adding one more bat this offseason, and they've hinted at maybe it's a lefty bat that they want to go after instead of a righty. So imagine adding Cody Bellinger. Last year's Cody Bellinger, if we get that guy in the middle of this lineup, that is a major upgrade. Carroll, Marte, Guriel, Moreno, Walker, Bellinger, that is a loaded lineup that could compete with anyone. So I think a one-year overpay or even one of those fake two, three-year deals that just has opt-out no opt-out options after the second year, after the first year of the deal, like... You could probably do something like that, a two-year deal, $60 million, where it's like 35 the first year, big option the second year with an opt-out. Like I would think that's a very smart deal to give Cody Bellinger, and it might be even kind of attractive to a guy like Cody Bellinger. So I would love to see the D-backs pitch that to Cody, or the other guy that I think would be kind of interesting to do the same kind of deal with. I know the D-backs already have a close in Paul Seawald, but imagine if he was a setup man to a guy named Josh Hader. Imagine if you had Hader, Seawald, and Kevin Ginkle as the top three in the back end of your bullpen. Maybe this one's a little bit less plausible considering you already have Paul Seawald, but why stop there? Why not get as many elite dudes as you can get in the back end of the bullpen? Seawald as your setup man with Hader as your closer would be absolutely nasty. Maybe Seawald wouldn't be as good in this, you know, in that setup situation because sometimes dudes are only good in that role that you give to them. But I think that would be really interesting and really enticing. And I'm really in on the idea of the D-backs doing a short-term overpay to one of these free agency, uh, to one of these free agents. I prefer Cody Bellinger. Josh Hader would be cool too. But the D-backs brought in Cody Bellinger in a one-year $30 million deal. Tell me the D-backs are not going back to the World Series in 2024. And for the D-backs to get back to the World Series next year, they're going to need a pretty dominant bullpen. That's why in segments number two and number three, we'll be power ranking the most trustworthy relievers in the D-backs bullpen heading into 2024. And if you believe the D-backs have a chance of taking home the 2024 World Series, then why not go to FanDuel Sportsbook and place a little futures bet because the NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live game, live same game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, and more. My favorite thing to do is the same game parlay. Now, whenever the Lakers are playing, I take AD over in points, AD over in rebounds, and the Lakers' money line, and I like to do that against mediocre or below 500 teams. The issue is that third leg of the parlay, the Lakers' money line, that hasn't been hitting as recently but when it does hit i feel like a genius so visit fanduel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup fanduel official partner of the nfl
All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Lockdown Diebacks podcast. Let's do a little power ranking of the D-backs relievers by trustworthiness. And this is basically going to tell you my feelings of who should be the top eight in the pen because I always have to look it up. But you can only carry 13 pitchers up until September 1st. So that's five starters. And then if I did the math, that's another five relievers plus three more relievers to get you to 13. So you're going to have your five starters plus eight bullpen guys. So who should be those eight bullpen guys? I think the top four that we're going to talk about in segment number two because we're going to start with number one in my trustworthy reliever rankings in the D-backs bullpen. Number one, uh, very simple. We're going to actually start not with the closer, but with Kevin Ginkle. He's the dude of the bullpen that actually trusts the most, more than a Paul Seawald, more than a Joe Manspy or whoever whoever else you want to name. Kevin, Kevin Ginkle was the dude in the D-backs bullpen until we acquired Paul Seawald. Ginkle had to do everything. He was able to save a few games, even though the D-backs really didn't want to make him the main closer because dudes that had more saves than Kevin Ginkle last year, Paul Seawald, of course, so I'm not even going to count him, but Scott McGuff had more saves. Miguel Castro had more saves. Andrew Chafin had more saves. Like, Kevin Ginkle probably should have been the closer up until Paul Seawald came through. Kevin Ginkle, 2-4-8 year array last year, under one whip. Like, Ginkle was absolutely electric. He was a dude, when he came on the scene in 2019, we thought potentially the closer of the future. I don't think that's in his future anymore but i still think he could be the setup man of the future fastball still sits in the upper 90s average 95 and 95.7 miles per hour last year and that slider sinker ball absolutely unhittable i love kevin Ingle. he's the most trustworthy reliever in the d-backs bullpen right now the number two is the man that we acquired at the deadline paul seawald i mean that combination of Ginkle and Seawald carried the D-backs through the postseason once you got to the bullpen because it was like, if you could just get the ball to Kevin Ginkle with a lead, the game was going to be over because you could bring, honestly, the way the D-backs are doing it, like Ginkle was sometimes coming out in the seventh inning, getting you five outs, and then Seawald would come out and get the last four outs coming out with like eight and two-thirds coming out in the eighth inning, right? So it's like those two, that duo was so elite in the postseason. Ingle didn't give up any earned runs in the postseason. And then outside of that home run to the Texas Rangers, like Seawald was also nails for the D-backs in the playoffs. It was also very good in the regular season, a 3-5-7 ERA. But what's really important, the D-backs overworked that man in the regular season because 13 saves and 17 innings pitch. Like the closing situation has been so horrendous for the D-backs. Ever since I've taken over this podcast, you could say since I've taken over this podcast in 2020, the D-backs had the worst closing situation in baseball. Like there's an argument that the D-backs had the worst closing situation over the last half decade. But now with Ginkle as a setup man, Paul Seawald as the closer, D-backs have a really strong back end of their bullpen. Seawald, two-pitch guy, sweeper. Fastball, the fastball, he's not even like he's throwing 98, only averages 92 on the fastball, but it, it feels so much harder the way he throws it. It looks so hard coming into the plate. Great spin on it. Sweeper, really, really highly effective pitch as well. Those two dudes in the back end of the bullpen, electric for the D-backs. They're definitely number one and number two. Ginkle one, Seawall two in my reliever power rankings. And then number three is a man who came on late in the season for the D-backs last year, but 
if the D-backs had a lead and they were able to get him the ball in the postseason, um, you could also say the game was over because, of course, once it got to Ginkle, the game was definitely over. But if you got to Ryan Thompson, the game was like 95% over in the postseason because Thompson, elite in the regular season for the D-backs last year. He only gave up one earned run over 13 innings pitch when he was pick up when he was picked up late in the season. And then in the postseason, just continued to really dominate and really show his stuff because um ran into a little bit of a hiccup in the NLDS against the Dodgers but outside of that I mean he had like over 10 innings pitch only three earned runs allowed like in the NLCS 5.2 innings pitch only one earned run like Ryan Thompson was so good for the D-backs last season he's a little bit unorthodox when you look at his uh, throwing style. He's kind of got I, I like that little bit of a sidearm delivery. Like Ryan Thompson is not your typical reliever when you watch that throwing uh, motion that he has, but damn, is it effective? Mostly sinker ball pitcher. He wants to get the ground ball. The sinker ball is really good for him, but it's the, it's the stuff that he uses off the sinker ball. The slider was nasty, and his fastball actually really effective. Um, he doesn't throw it a ton, at least when you look at the numbers, the sample size from last year. Um, he likes to go sinker ball the most, work the slider off that. Two really effective pitches, but when he can catch someone sleeping with that fastball, very effective. And he throws the sinker hard. 90 miles per hour so I like him as a guy that could come in out the pen and get a ground ball out when you really need it Ryan Thompson has that double play ability you know sometimes you get in that jam you're like man we really need a double play here Ryan Thompson is your guy in that situation then the final guy that I want to talk about that I really liked for the D-backs this past year came on late as well as a late season uh call up Andrew Southrank was really special for the D-backs last season. Another guy, two-pitch guy, sinker ball heavy, just like Ryan Thompson, but sinker, curveball, both very effective. A lefty, too. The D-backs can always use more quality lefty relievers because it seems like all their best relievers are righties. We look at the Seawalds, the Ginkles, the Ryan Thompson. So a Southrank, D-backs desperately needed a good lefty with Kyle Nelson struggling in the second half of the season. Man's supply being shaky the whole year. D-backs really needed a strong lefty. That's what Sal Frank was able to provide. In 10 innings pitch last season, he gave up zero earned runs entering the postseason. And then in the postseason, 5.2 innings pitch, only two earned runs, and all of them came in the NLCS. It felt like Sal Frank and Ryan Thompson, when one guy got in a little bit of a jam, it felt like the other guy was coming out the pen out the bullpen to pick his teammate up. And then when it was South Frank in the jam, it felt like Ryan Thompson would come out the pen to pick his teammate up. So I love these two as the go-to, you know, non-Ginko or Seawald. When you need a big out against the lefty, you're pulling in South Frank, especially if you need that ground ball. And if you need that big ground ball out from the righty, I think your first option out the pen is going to be Ryan Thompson. Ryan Thompson, and that is undoubtedly the top four in the D-backs bullpen right now. And that top four makes me feel pretty good about the D-backs bullpen. Seawald, is he the best closer in baseball? No, but is he a top 10 closer in baseball? I definitely think so. Ginkle could be potentially a top five setup man next year in the sport. And then Ryan Thompson and Sal Frank as your go-to, you know, platoony uh, kind of dude to get 
or, or is your go-to specialist and go-to ground ball guys. I like Ryan Thompson and I like Sal Frank a lot for the bullpen next year. Seawald, Ginko, Thompson, Sal Frank as your top four does make me pretty good about the potential D-backs bullpen in 2024. But how about the rest of the D-backs bullpen? Are there more trustworthy guys in the pen that we should count on next season? Well, that's what we're going to discuss in segment number three. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Jace Case because I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we just talk for a minute about preparing for real life? According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. This is scary. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if a significant or other or one of my kids got sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication they needed. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinuses, skin infections, among other stuff. This stuff could happen to any of us. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Let's finish up our bullpen reliever rankings. Of course, you can only carry 13 pitchers on the roster, five of them being starters. That leaves eight relievers in the top four. We said Seawald, Ginkle, Ryan Thompson, and Sal Frank. But not in that order. I had Ginkle number one. The rest of the order was correct. But how would I shake down five through eight in the bullpen? This is where it gets tough. And this is where it gets kind of crazy and kind of controversial because my options for the last four spots in the bullpen, Joe Mantiply, Bryce Jarvis, Kyle Nelson, Luis Frias, Miguel Castro, Scott McGuff, Slay Kakoni. I think I already said Ryan Nelson, Luis Frias. I think I already said them. So this is how I would do the last few spots in the bullpen. This is not necessarily how the D-backs are going to do it. This is just how I would do it. Based off the trustworthiness that I have in these guys, I don't think this is actually how the bullpen is going to shake up, but I think this is how it should shake up. The fifth most trustworthy guy thing in the D-backs bullpen still, despite coming off a down season, is Joe Mantaply. He's still that lefty out the pen for the D-backs. Maybe Sal Frank has replaced him as the go-to lefty, but... Mantiply, 2021, 3-4 ERA over 39 innings pitch. Then 2022, all-star, 2-8-5 ERA. People did expect a regression to the means last season, but I still think 
Mantiply is a good reliever. The issue is, when you look at the platoon stats, he was awful against righties. Had actually more at-bats against righties than lefties. I don't know why that's the case. 277 average, 876 OPS against righties. But against lefties, 185 average, 440 OPS. So hopefully having Sal Frank in the pen means Mantiply can just... can. Focus and go back to being the specialist against lefties because I still think a fuse Mantiply 75% of the time, of course, sometimes he's going to have to go against righty batters. But as long as more than half the time, he's like the, the balance for Mantiply should always lean. He's facing more lefties than righties. And if he's still facing more lefties than righties, I think Mantiply will be a very good reliever for the D-backs next season. And in the second half of the year, he did get better as the season progressed. 5.74 ERA in the first half, 3.86 ERA in the second half, and then the final 13 innings pitch for Mantiply, only two earned runs heading into the postseason. Mantiply is still someone that I have a lot of faith in. He's Maybe he's not the best reliever like I thought he was for the D-backs entering last season's bullpen, but I think the fact that we all think he's the fifth best reliever now, not even the best lefty anymore, I think that actually bodes very well for Mantiply next season and his future. I actually don't even think Mantiply was bad in the postseason. He had to be the, you know, that that little bullpen starter, the opening starter, like whatever they did when they had to start a reliever instead of an actual starter. Mantiply was the go-to guy in that situation. And I thought he did fine most of the time. So I like Mantiply a lot going to next season. He was actually pretty easily for me the fifth most trustworthy reliever for the D-backs because after him, this is where it gets really tough, and this is where it gets really controversial because the next guy that I have, number six on my list, I actually have Bryce Jarvis, and some of you guys might think that's kind of crazy, but Bryce Jarvis performed, or should I say pitched pretty well. Performed, I guess, makes sense too, but he pitched pretty well. He pitched pretty well for the D-backs last season. Of course, really not a large sample size, but 23 innings pitch, a 3.04 ERA, a sub one whip. The issue is he's not a strikeout guy. Only averaged uh, 4.6 strikeouts per nine. Not a strikeout guy, but fastball averages 95 miles per hour. The slider unhittable last year, below a 100 batting average. The expected batting average was 250, so it's not like he was getting away that much. And the changeup. Only threw it 43 times, but a 143 average on the changeup, expected batting average of 229, uh, expected slugging of 263. Like his off speed pitches are really good. He throws a hard fastball. I want to see another year of development. He needs to maybe get a little bit more spin rate on that fastball, but if he can improve another year, this could be a pretty good back end reliever for the D backs. And I'm already going to tell you right now, Bryce Jarvis, I'm putting in the bullpen over a guy like Ryan Nelson or over a guy like Slay Kakoni because the D-backs definitely want one or two dudes that could come in. You know, let's say your starter gives up six earned runs in the first two innings pitch. You need a reliever that could go a little bit of distance. I want Bryce Jarvis to be that guy over Ryan Nelson or Slay Kakoni right, uh, right now because number seven in my ranking after Bryce Jarvis, is a Kyle Nelson, which might seem kind of surprising because I don't even think Kyle Nelson was on the, the postseason roster last year. Let me double check, but I don't think he pitched at all in the postseason last year for the D-backs, um, which is maybe a little bit crazy. He didn't pitch 
the first two series, but he did get some run in the NLCS, and he did get some run in the World Series. Five innings pitch, two earned runs. Cal Nelson was really good in 2022. Not as good in 2023. He was really good in the first half of the season, but not so much in the second half. But he's still someone that I trust. And really, I'm taking Kyle Nelson over the other options because it comes down to the Castros, the McGuffs of the world. And I just like Kyle Nelson better. Miguel Castro is another lefty, I think, right? Miguel Castro lefty. But regardless, Miguel Castro... Throws really hard. He's six foot seven. He had a really good first half for the D-backs. But in the second half, he flamed out in a big way. Same with Kyle Nelson. Really good in the first half. Flamed out in a big way in the second half. Miguel Castro, righty. Don't know why I was thinking of him as a lefty. And since they both were great in the first half, bad in the second half, which one of those guys do I trust more? I trust Kyle Nelson, who I've actually seen be good for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Miguel Castro is a career 4-1-5 ERA. For his career, he has not been that good of a reliever. For his career, he has almost five walks per nine innings. Maybe Kyle Nelson doesn't have the strikeout repertoire of a Miguel Castro, but I think Castro more likely to walk someone, more likely to give up a loud double, a loud home run. I think Kyle Nelson... Maybe he doesn't have the ceiling of some relievers, but I think he has a pretty high floor, and that's why he's the seventh most trustworthy reliever in my power ranking. I'm taking him over Miguel Castro, and I'm taking him over Scott McGuff. I'm taking him over Ryan Nelson. But one guy I'm not taking him over because number eight in my bullpen to round out my personal pen might be a little surprising, but I'm taking Luis Frias. That's right. I know Miguel Castro, guaranteed deal. I know Scott McGuff, guaranteed deal. Those two dudes are probably locks for the D-backs bullpen next year. It's probably Frias and Kyle Nelson getting bumped out the pen in reality. But in Millie's and Millard's personal bullpen for the D-backs, I want Luis Frias to round it out because Frias, I thought, showed a little something last year. 4.06 ERA in the regular season, over 31 innings pitch. Still, 1.5 whip. Ton of walks for Luis Frias. And the strikeout rate wasn't as high as it should be. But he still has such elite stuff. The curveball, the fastball, Frias, when you see him pitch, he still looks nasty. And if I have to go with uh, uh, you know, either Miguel Castro or Luis Frias, at least Frias is younger. They have... They both have good stuff, but I think Frias can have elite stuff when it's right. The cutter, uh, 96 on the fastball, slider, changeup. Like Castro can throw hard too, but I would rather go with the other. I'd rather go with the younger option than a Castro, who I think is a little bit over the hill. Scott McGuff, I just don't want to see any more Scott McGuff in the back end of the bullpen. He blew so many games for the D-backs last season, but unfortunately, he'll probably be back. Ryan Nelson, if I have to go with the long reliever type, I'd rather just go with Bryce Jarvis. Same commentary applies to Slade Kakoni. So my bullpen, it'll be Ginkle, Seawald, Thompson, Southrank, Mansplite, Bryce Jarvis, Kyle Nelson, Luis Frias. I don't think the D-backs will do that, but I think that will give you the most balance of having three lefties in the pen and having dudes that could throw hard like the Luis Frias of the world. We need to bring in someone that could maybe get a strikeout. Same with Bryce Jarvis, even though he doesn't 
you know, based off what we saw last year, even though he didn't put up good strikeout numbers, still throws very hard and maybe could get somebody out. We know Ginkle and Seawall could get people out. So you got people who could strike people out in the Seawall, the Ginkle, the Friases of the world, at least in terms of their stuff. You got people that could get the ground ball out. Ryan Thompson, Sal Frank, Mantiply, like I think it's a very well-balanced D-backs bullpen. And it's one of the better D-backs bullpens that we've seen entering a season in quite some time. And if the D-backs want to add one more reliever this offseason, someone that was a little more trustworthy than Kyle Nelson, Luis Frias, I would not be mad at all. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Come back later in the week. Should be doing a podcast with Ben Kaspik of Lockdown Giants. Doing a little crossover with him, hopefully, so be on the lookout for that. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Houses. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.